Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Wentworth Douglas Hospital Portsmouth Outpatient Center provides this community with innovative treatments, top doctors and nurses, and an ever-expanding list of services. Learn more at wdhospital.org slash Portsmouth and experience better. This is Alex Lacasse, reporter with Seacoast Online in the Exeter Newsletter. We're taking a look at the Tammy Belanger disappearance, which occurred uh, 35 years ago on November 13th, 1984. I'm here with Steve Stevens. He was the uh, Exeter Newsletter reporter at the time, and he, he was kind enough to join us. So, Steve, uh, welcome, and uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alex. And I, I guess just for starters, can you just uh, tell me about uh, your experience um, at the time of reporting in Exeter and just, just kind of what was going on uh, in, in town uh, or kind of leading up to this uh, disappearance? Sure. Um, I started uh, at the newsletter actually as a part-time reporter in January of that year, uh, was uh, covering the town of Newmarket, uh, city uh, town council meetings, things like that, so we're that fun stuff that all of us small yes. town reporters do. <laughs> kind of in the uh, <laughs> new market, it's always funny just because it's kind of in like the uh, nether region between uh, Durham and yeah. Foster's yeah. world and then the, yeah. the, the Portsmouth exactly. Herald uh, world. So Exactly, and at the time, Foster's was a bitter competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were competing for the new market. We were kind of trying to expand into new market more than we had been. Not that it has anything to do with Tammy. But anyways, so I, uh, but anyways they must have liked me just enough that they actually hired me as the sports editor um, at, the, what was one, at that time a weekly newsletter. Yes. And I think we published from Wednesdays, if I recall. But anyways, um, and so I was a sports editor. So it was a glorified sports reporter position, basically. And um, anyways, at the time, I was the sports editor. Uh, when in November, uh, Tammy, well, we found out there was a girl missing, had always hadn't appeared at school. And um, I was just going about my normal business, uh, probably interviewing an athlete or something. And um, my editor, Mary Croner at the time, uh, said, uh, we need you to go uh, to go to the police station and inquire about this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and um, I was thrown into it. Was that kind of your first? Uh, it was my first, first news story of yeah. any sort, and it happened to just be the biggest one we probably had in decades. And um, because, uh, anyways, let's just say the reporter that covered Exeter news uh, was not available. Let's okay. leave it at that. Um, so I I jumped in, and um, next thing you know, uh, uh, reporting on the worst story I've ever in my entire 30-year career covered, and it just happened to be in my first year there. Can you kind of take me through that day? So you said that you had heard that this girl was missing, mm-hmm. and, and from the research I've done, it seemed like back then it wasn't a it, parents wouldn't call ahead when their mm-hmm. student was sick or anything. No. Back then, there there was no formal policy of. Uh, well, uh, most of us, like in, from Stratum, would had a bus, and so we, were, you know, as the student got on the bus, the student carefully and you know, always got home, got to the school and back. Well, Tammy, uh, like a lot of the Exeter kids, because she didn't live far from the school uh, on River Street, and um, she uh, walked to school every day, 
and uh, is what she did this time. And um, and so, but back then they didn't have a policy at any in this Exeter school system to account for kids. I mean, I, I don't make, mean to make them sound like they didn't know what they were doing because they did, but it's just it was a different time. Right. It wasn't a concern as much. It was. It was it, kids didn't get kidnapped uh, back then for the most part. And so, anyway, so what we found out was uh, we'd get, we started to get a little scuttlebutt because we, we, the office for Exeter Newsletter used to be downtown Exeter at the time, uh, right near, actually, you know, several blocks away from where we're talking. And um, we were getting a lot of scuttlebutt that there was, uh, parents were concerned that uh, their, their girl had not returned home from school. And then they find out she had never made it to school. And uh, so then uh, uh, I went to, uh, so my, as I said, my editor said, um, can you go down to the police station and uh, find out what's going on? And so that's actually when I, for the first time I met Frank Caracciola, who was the chief, the police chief. And it actually started a good relationship between us um, that, um, over the years. But um, he really didn't have much to say at the time. And so then uh, I had, a, I think, one of the uh, own, former owners of the newsletter, who, who still worked there at the time, um, had connections with the uh, family. And uh, they helped, he helped me, I think, if I recall correctly, get me into the family's home. And, uh, and uh, was it that same day? No, it was the next day. After okay, the next day after. Yeah. For those day, immediate days following, kind of what was kind of the law law enforcement response, and then uh, well, I guess going to meet the parents as well. Uh, the police. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it started about that afternoon when the police found out that their the parents reported that uh, Tammy had not gone to gotten to school. Mm-hmm. And um, so at first, if I recall correctly, the police thought, oh well, she's probably hung out with some friends and she was only eight years old so I mean I don't know how much trouble she could have gotten into right. but I, I I guess they kind of surmised because God knows they probably deal with a lot far worse things uh, not of a kidnapping but of uh, children that may be truants and they thought probably if I understand correctly but she had just kind of taken the day off or something mm-hmm. and um, so anyway but then it started getting serious when the, when she didn't return home and um and the next several days, it was just uh, police everywhere, uh, fire, fire, the fire, every, anything that had to do with uh, emergency response uh, were, I'd say, combing that path uh, that she would have taken to school. Uh, there were helicopters in the friggin' air. There was, there was, it was just unbelievable. Uh, the, the response was, uh, was pretty overwhelming, at least for that day and age. Okay. I guess we can revisit the the parents we can uh, after yes, um, and then as this investigation is unfolding, just what was it like just to be a part of that every day? Was that just kind of your everyday reality from that point? It, it became that. Oh well, I still had to do some sports. Yes, um, but but um, yeah, uh, I uh, yeah, would, they'd have some press conferences and such, and you'd have to go to that at the like the public state, you know, at the police uh, complex. And it was just, uh, it was kind of like we, big city had come into, because the big city organizations were over the next couple of days coming into Little Exeter uh, from Boston and from elsewhere. And uh, it was quite a scene, to be honest. And it was a little overwhelming for little old me, who was only probably about your age, is my guess. I was 24. Okay. And um, 
it was very it was an overwhelming experience and it's something that i've uh, some of the stuff is fuzzy but the one overwhelming feeling i had was that well i can't believe this is happening and i think that's how the whole community felt at the time but here i was a sports guy just started the paper and here i'm covering the biggest story that's probably happened in this this community in forever when you're kind of attending all these things and you're living this every day, did you ever get a sense talking with people on off the record that they were getting close? Did they ever think they had that breakthrough? No, no, but there wasn't any sense of that at all. In fact, and I, I let's just say there were various theories floating around at the time. Um, and, um, I mean, obviously we still don't know what the answer was, Right. but, um, I think I get the sense that uh, they kind of know, but um, but so uh, no one had any clue. There was no breakthroughs that I'm we at least that they made aware to us. In hindsight, it sounds like they kind of figured out a few days into it that it might have been this Victor uh, guy, but uh, that obviously we know was never proven. So you mentioned the parents. So you're a, you're a young reporter. It's your first year on the job. Mm. Just what's that like going into was, this family's living room? It was a heart wrench. It, even then, I recognized how heart wrenching it was. And I was just a little punk reporter, you know. I mean, um, I mean, no. I, I mean, it was. I was invited into their home. I got to just sit there and stand there with the mother, Pat, and Nelson. Uh, Belanger, mom and dad, mm-hmm. um, and uh, with I think there were some aunts and uncles, and uh, uh, I think the younger folk were kind of not there. Um, they were probably there somewhere, but they weren't yes. mixed in with in with us. And um, they're just people coming and going, and police were there, and, uh, and and all kinds of community officials were there. And it was just it was just an overwhelmingly, uh, frankly, sad, yet hopeful time because it was still very early. And uh, the parents were very hopeful, as were the other members of the family and their friends, that, well, it's really early and there's got to be, a, there's got to be a rational reason for this. It, it had to be a good reason. And I just remember the mom kind of walking in and out of the room and, and um, trying, she was unbelievably gracious considering the situation. And, um, but I, was, I felt like I was an intruder, um, but, that's what you did, you mm-hmm. know, and they were so gracious to let me be there that, um, um, and the one overwhelming feeling was of love and concern and of great hope. Um, I don't know that I saw it. I, that was my one uh, chance to really hang around with them. Obviously, why would they want me to uh, be there? Right. But I think they were hoping that we as a news organization, because we were a beloved entity, not that we aren't, aren't, you aren't now still, but we were such an ingrained part of that community um, that um, I think they really were hoping we were the coverage and what I could give of what they were feeling and thinking and that maybe somehow that would uh, reach out to whoever might have uh, taken her. I guess looking back on that, you're... I think one of the only journalists who's actually spoken with the family and... To my knowledge, I may be the only one. Yes, and I I haven't seen any interviews they've done over the years or anything in in my research. So I I guess just when you look back on that now in today, you know, 35 years later, this case is still unsolved. Yeah. Did you ever think that it could take on this kind of life of its own? 
no, it's kind of mythic in the, in the most. It's an American tragedy, obviously, and, and um, uh, no, I I think we thought she will find her. Mm-hmm. We're as the days wore on. Uh, initially, we thought we'll find her. You know, we'll find. Well, I say we. I mean the 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 people who are actually doing the hard work. Um, they uh, that they would find her, and uh, initially hoped and thought probably alive. Um, and then as the days went on, it seemed more likely that, we still thought they'd find her, mm-hmm. but probably not alive. And because then they were like getting, you know, over the years there were all kinds of, you know, like draining the ponds and, and uh, digging up the graves and things like that. But even in the early day, early moments, there was like, Oh my God! You know, as there was talk, and again, it's not like I somehow could, was a fly on the wall in the police strategy room or something. But from what the 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 impression I got from the chief was that the, there was a lot of tips being reported, and that um, somebody had seen her supposedly. You know, um, I don't remember where, but I do remember they had seen her supposedly. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really did. Uh, a lot of little girls look alike. And uh, near, you know, a pond or whatever, and there was talk about draining ponds even back then. And I know that they did scour the river because the river was near their family home, the Exeter River. And um, they, I do know that they canvassed that river a lot. Yeah, you know, my parents lived in Exeter at the time, and oh. they said they remember the river being drained. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but um, and anyway, so initially we thought we'd find her, and um, first alive, and then probably not alive. And then, um, then life goes on again, you know. Yep. <laughs> and uh, then, you, then there would be the, then, the, uh, then like I remember in this succeeding years, uh, there'd be the occasional tip, uh, like, oh yeah, uh, she was, you know, we think somebody thought she was buried in a grave that had been dug during that period when she disappeared, and um, and uh, somebody saw her, saw her backpack and things like that. Supposedly saw yes, her backpack, yes. and um, and none of them proved to be anything, unfortunately. But the the adrenaline every time we'd get a little t- a tip that this was going on, the adrenaline gets going again, and all the memories flash forward again, and um, and alas, and yeah, nothing ever. Good came of it. Okay. And was there one moment when you got a sense that the case had gone completely cold? Mm, not any one moment. Mm-hmm. I think just time, uh, you, you, it's like life, life moves on and the police said, I know at some point they, I think within, within the year had said it was, a, the, it was a, not a, it was essentially a cold case. And, um, and that the, the search had, uh, actually had stopped quite I don't remember when it was, to be honest. It was within weeks, if not... Within weeks, they had more or less stopped searching for her. Okay. If that was the impression I had gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no one moment, no. Alrighty. So, like you mentioned previously, there you heard a lot of theories over who mm-hmm. may have uh, abducted Tammy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. From everything you heard, have you personally come up with your own theory? Do you, in fact, believe it was this Victor Juan Yeti that a lot of law enforcement uh, seems to think? What if the evidence is actually evidence that I've read about and heard about over the years? Then yeah, it was probably him. But do I know that? No, I don't know that. Um, I sure it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Uh, we, uh, at least that's 
that's how I look at it. It makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of coincidences, but a lot of um, a lot of common sense tells me yes. It was probably the Duanyeni. Overall, uh, you spent the better part of 30 years reporting here on the seacoast. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that time spent in Exeter. Um, what do you think this case had as an impact on the Exeter community? And do you think they're still feeling the pain of it today? I think the people like me that were were around in the day are probably, I mean, again, life moves on and you, uh, it's always, uh, it's always, life is an interesting thing. But um, whenever, like when you called me up the other day, Tammy Belanger, I'm like, that, that name has a resonance within me that I can't fully describe. Um, it uh, takes me back to a very important time in my life, personally. Um, and takes me back to a time when the community was, I think, a far different community than it is now. And uh, it was very, I mean, it was much smaller. And I think it was more tight-knit. It's just by its nature. I think it's this whole area has grown up so much. There's so much influx influx of people from other areas that I think the tight-knittedness is um, no longer there. But um, it, it, I think, the community has changed so much that probably it's not as resonant now with the people that are there. But those of us who lived through it, yeah, it was, it's, uh, we'll never forget it. Uh, um, I don't even know if I really answered your question, but <laughs> you can no, ask it again. No, no, uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I, Feel free to make me sound more intelligent yes, than I uh, do. <laughs> um, I, I, I thank you for taking the time, Steve. And uh, it certainly it was great catching up with you and, you know, uh, appreciate all your work that you've done uh, in, in the community for all these years. You know, the one thing I would say is that, um, as I said, when you called me and I, I Tammy Belanger, and first thing that comes to my mind and always has since from that moment was era, you know, the eight-year-old Tammy Belanger disappeared on her way to school. Um, back in November of 1984, and that's how I think of her, and of all the pictures of her plastered on all the windows and all of the shops, and the utter tragic and unfairness of all this is that um, I wish I had never heard of Tammy Belanger, or at least I had never heard of her until maybe years later when she was in Exeter High School, and and um, maybe I would have been fortunate enough to have interviewed her um, you know, after she scored the game-winning goal for the Exeter High soccer team or something like that, and then that's how I would have liked to have learned about it because it's such an intense, sad feeling to uh, hear her name, and I wish it weren't so. Absolutely. Anyways, thank you. Well, uh, I thank you for uh, joining me, Steve, and um, it's, it's been, you know, great to learn about, you know, your experience reporting on, you know, quite this you know, a groundbreaking and, uh, you know, like you said, a sad American story. Thank you. Absolutely. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.